0: Last uh, Thursday night, we were privileged to be able to, to attend the All-Star Salute to Mort Saul, which took place on the famous comedian's uh, 80th birthday in Brentwood. Uh, it was a very interesting event in so many respects, and I was looking for someone uh, to have covered it adequately in the media, and uh, we found our man with uh, the blog site of Marc Evanier. He did such a great job in summarizing the event, we thought we would just give him a call and ask him on the show, and happily he's agreed to join us. So, we'd like to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Mark Evanier. I'm
1: thrilled to be here.
0: Now, Mark, tell me a little bit about about your site. I'm looking at it, I sort of stumbled on it, looking for coverage on Mort Saul. It says that uh, it's described as News From Me, a web blog about TV, movies, comics, theater, news, politics, and other forms of fantasy.
1: Basically anything I'm thinking about at the moment I put up
0: there,
1: <laughs> which is basically what a weblog is.
0: Well, you're our kind of guy. We especially like politics and other forms of fantasy. <laughs> Good line. Well, and your background is in, sounds like, all the above.
1: Well, I write television. I write comic books. I write cartoons. I write movies. I write books. I, I, I subscribe to the philosophy that if you do enough different things, you don't have to do any of them well. <laughs>
0: So it says that you're the official website for Pogo, Walt Kelly's Pogo? Uh,
1: I run the official website for Walt Kelly's Pogo, yes.
0: Okay, so you're really embedded with the comics people.
1: That's correct.
0: All right. Well, Mark, I, I cold called you, and not knowing anything much about you. Can you I, I think your background sounds pretty, pretty provocative. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you've done the past few decades?
1: Oh, boy. Well, um, in television, I wrote... A lot of a lot of live action TV shows. I wrote Welcome Back, Cotter. I wrote Love Boat. I wrote Cheers. I wrote all the variety shows that Sid and Marty Croft did for about 15 years. I wrote uh, I wrote the, the the unsuccessful Bob Newhart sitcom. You know, he, he he had to do one that flopped, and I was on that one. And uh, in animation, I've been writing most of the Garfield c- cat cartoons for the last uh, 15 years or so. I wrote before that I wrote Scooby-Doo and. Plastic Man, and Dungeons and Dragons, and, and uh, a very long list of shows. And in comic books, the, the main thing I'm doing at the moment is a book called Grew the Wanderer, which I've been doing with a man named Sergio Aragonis for 25 years as of this year. In fact, today I'm working on the 25th anniversary issue.
0: Now, as I recall from my Mad Magazine days, Sergio Aragonis uh, has been an illustrator for what used to be for them from way back,
1: he, he still is. He's in every issue. He's been in every issue but one since 1964. Wow! And you can read all about this in a book called Mad Art, which is a book I wrote, which is being sold, sold cheap on Amazon right now about the history of Mad Magazine.
0: Well, I'm sure some of our listeners will want to want to do just that. When when I first called you up to to ask about your connection to the Mort Sall event, you surprised me by talking about the fact that you were. Uh, we're writing some of the comedy back for some of the participants, uh, sounds like back in the late 70s.
1: Well, I wrote for stand-up comics in the late 70s, from about mid-70s to late 70s. Yeah, writing for stand-up comedians is one of the worst jobs in the world. It, it's,
0: <laughs> Why? It's,
1: well, it, first of all, you know, it, it's, it's like the equivalent of being in the circus doing a very dangerous stunt. When you fail, everybody <laughs> sees this, and you die a horrendous public death. And also, it doesn't pay very well, and you have to sit around the com- back at a comedy store till 2 a.m., uh, haggling with comedians over over fees and prices. And it's it's just—I mean, I did it for a while just for fun, and and it wasn't that much fun. Uh. I stopped doing it the minute I had something better to do with my time. But, but I did it for a while, and, and I guess it was an interesting experience. It's very, it's very enlightening as a writer to write something and fail so spectacularly that you, you can't argue the point. <laughs> so you then have to learn to turn loose of things and write something else.
0: Just out of curiosity, what did a joke go for back in, say,
1: 1979? Oh, 25 bucks to $50. It depends on the, on the comedian. That was actually the problem, which is, like you give a bunch of jokes to a comedian, and they didn't want to pay you out of pocket. So they'd say, well, look, tell you what, if I use it on Griffin, I'll give you 10 bucks. If I use it on Griffin and Carson, I'll give you 25 bucks. If I only use it on Carson, I'll give you 15. And you, you go and you start haggling, and, 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 and then they don't pay you anyway. So uh, I stopped doing it. Uh, actually, for a while, I was writing jokes for free. I was working, making enough money doing other kind of writing that I would approach comedians I liked and basically say to them, here, here's a free bit. If you use it, you owe me a favor. If you don't use it, then I get it back, and I can give it to somebody else. And and the, people didn't quite understand that at first, but they liked the the, the no pay part, and uh, that worked out all right for me. And you know, and to this day, I still occasionally call in one of those favors for jokes I wrote, you know, in the 70s for someone. Or or it's a nice credit to be able. It was a nice credit to be able to say, when I was starting as a TV writer, to walk in and say, Hey, did you see that guy on Carson last night? I wrote three of his jokes. <laughs>
0: Well, so you're eminently qualified, I think, to judge uh, what took place on Thursday night. Uh, and, and I really liked your summary. We should, we should tell people that this was yeah, this was really a rare assemblage of, of really blue chip comedy talent. Uh, let's kind of go over some of the people you, you kind of reviewed. Some of the performances that, that, were, that were there last night. Well, first, we'll just go over the list.
1: Well, the list. I, I, the list was Jonathan Winters, Shelley Berman, Albert Brooks, Drew Carey, George Carlin, Norm Crosby, Jay Leno, Richard Lewis, Bill Maher, Kevin Nealon, Paula Poundstone, and the closing act was Mort Saul.
0: Which is, by anybody's standards, uh, a pretty blue chip lineup.
1: You throw half those people off, you still got a great show.
0: Well, everybody was there, I think, for a common cause. Mort Saul back in like the, in the 1960s sort of changed the face of comedy from sort of uh, sort of the Henny youngman you know take my wife, please to a guy that would make observations about what was going on, something that everyone has uh, I think caught on and imitated ever since
1: One of the many things that Mort not so much as invented as popularized was the idea that the comedian is more important than the joke before him, you know Milton Berle was able to steal everybody's act because everyone's act was interchangeable mm-hmm. and There were comedians who did jokes about, you know, my wife is so fat, even though they had no wife or a skinny wife, it was just a joke, and it didn't really have to pertain to them. And Mort was the first guy, really, who became popular, who came out and did Mort Saul jokes. They were unique to his voice, they were his point of view, and you were spending time with him, as opposed to a guy who just rattled off a whole bunch of, of non-existent, unreal written jokes
0: let 's talk a little bit about what happened on Thursday night. I was quite uh, I was quite bl- blown away. I, I, I think you were too judging yeah. by what you wrote uh, let's talk a bit about Albert Brooks
1: yeah, Albert Brooks was amazing because Albert Brooks doesn 't do stand-up anymore. I saw one of his last stand-up appearances, which I think probably would have been mid to low, maybe mid seventies, maybe i don't remember exactly what it was. he was he was getting out of it to try to become a filmmaker mm-hmm. and, and he did one of his very last times he ever did that at a club in here in L.A., and he was brilliant, and he stopped doing it, and he was the only one there at that event the other night who couldn't get up there and do part of his current act, so he wrote a special piece for the (laughs) evening, and you forget how good that guy is on stage. It's been so long since we've seen
0: it. We should explain. He came out and said, uh, you know, I do wish in the future they'd get a first-class publicist out there to at at least speak to the talent, because I thought... This was going to be a eulogy. Yeah. And it turns out, here's Mort, he's alive in the second row. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and then he says, says, I don't have an act. All I've got is this eulogy, so I'm going to read it anyway. And, and he, you know, he's such a good actor, he convinced people for a moment there that he really was ticked off.
0: Yes, he, yes. And he
1: starts reading this, this saccharine, phony, uh, cliche-filled eulogy. Which was very funny, given the fact that Mort was you know sitting in the second <laughs> row behind Hefner,
0: huh the, the
1: way Hefner looked, they could have used the eulogy for him, but <laughs> but uh, he, he it was just it was very funny, and the audience just felt that special tingle. this is, oh my God, this is Albert Brooks doing a bit of material that no one else will ever hear.
0: yes, indeed. If somebody outclassed Albert, I don't know if anybody truly did, but certainly his equal was the performance by Jay Leno.
1: Jay Leno was amazing. Uh, it reminds you why that guy has done so well. He just came out and did, I guess it was about 10, 12 minutes, of absolutely killer stand-up. Now, the, and the reverse there is, is that Albert Brooks was doing material that he wrote for that evening that he had probably never spoken, of, never spoken in public before. Uh, and he was very funny. Jay was out there doing tried-and-true bits that he's been doing in Vegas for years and doing at the Comedy and Magic Club. And he's got it polished to such a uh, degree uh, rehearsed and he's got every syllable of every joke honed to perfection and he just came out and just killed and then and then the, the classy thing he did was he turned his set around so at the end he's talking about Mort and everybody talked about Mort to some extent but he gave this wonderful little talk about Mort at the end and then when he left the stage his applause for exiting was Mort's applause not his own he made it so that at the end he kind of invited the audience to applaud for Mort Saul. Instead of applauding for Jay Leno.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and it was a very nice, warm moment, and it was very earnestly meant, I'm sure, because, you know, all these people were in some way thanking Mort for whatever the, the personal things were. A lot of them talked about how he had helped their careers on an individual basis, but they were th- thanking him for pioneering this generation of stand up comedy, for helping invent the form completely, which they've all used to make their livings over the years.
0: Yeah, I noticed that the two people that really went especially out of their way to explain that to the audience were Woody Allen and George Carlin both, who talked about how influential Mort Saul was and what they went on to do subsequently.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, Woody was on tape, you should tell your people. But those two guys talked personally about what, what Mort had done for them personally. Uh, and I love the fact that, that Mort Saul mentioned how he, uh, when he was playing the Copa in New York, he got Dick Cavett and Woody Allen in to see him for free. Right. Uh, and, and Carlin... Um, talked about how when he was a beginning stand-up comedian, first working with Jack Burns and then later when he went on as a solo, Mort was recommending him for jobs and Mort was advising him and, and helping him to establish himself in the business. You could very easily argue that George Carlin became a very strong competitor of Mort's. That didn't stop him. Mort still helped George Carlin establish himself.
0: The big shock for me in the evening was seeing an old clip from circa 1962, George Carlin doing a Mort Sahl impression. That wasn't bad.
1: No, it was pretty good actually. George showed this clip of him doing uh, more. of the, was It was 62, was it? I think, yeah. Something and like it, that. Yeah, it was like it was one of George's first TV bits as a as a solo performer, and it was amazing. Yeah, they, they, these guys go back for years, and uh, a lot of these people did. And that was a nice part of it. There were people there who'd known Mort all his life, or most of his professional life, and there were people who just kind of came to him as as someone who had pioneered their business. So you had a nice cross section there.
0: Well, it's certainly you could you could feel the love in the in the room. I think, uh, as 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 tried as it might be to say that, I think it was it was a real thing. And when Mort came on to, to close the evening, I think everybody was just just thrilled.
1: Yes, absolutely. It was it was a, one of those evenings. Everybody was just. At the end, people were milling around outside. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to turn loose of the evening it have been so magical.
0: Indeed. Well, Mark, we appreciate that you're sharing your thoughts with us, and, and if people want to read more, where should they go?
1: Well, my website is www.newsfrommeme.com, all one word, newsfromme.com. and I put something up there every you know, 20 minutes, it seems like, about what's going on in my life and what's happening, and if they scroll back a few days, they'll find... Uh, my comments on the Mort Saul tribute, and uh, they may find something else they care to read there, also.
0: Yeah, you've got some great stuff about uh, Stan Freeberg, comic stuff, a whole a whole cornucopia, and I, I would recommend your site to our listeners highly.
1: I'm very good at things that don't make any money,
0: you know. <laughs> well, we—that's why we're a natural partnership. Yes. <laughs> Mark Evanier, the blogger who brings us news from me uh, on a regular basis on the web, we would refer you again to his website, and thank you very much for speaking with us.
1: Anytime, sir. <laughs>
0: Alright, we've got about five minutes left here in our segment, so I think what I need to do is uh, take some excerpts from a bootleg copy of the Mort Sol event, which was sent to us by persons who shall remain nameless, and I think excerpt uh, some of the funnier comments from, uh, from that clandestine recording. Now, Larry King was the butt of numerous jokes that evening because he was supposed to be the host, the published literature said, hosted by Larry King, but... Larry evidently got caught up in the whole Paris Hilton interview brouhaha and stayed in New York or wherever he was to, uh, to handle the breaking story of his interview with Paris. This uh, caused Drew Carey to later remark, you know, so she's an heiress. She's a Hilton heiress. Is, that, is it that big a deal? I mean, you know, if you stayed in a Hilton lately? I mean, it's not like she's Paris Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> you know, she's somewhere above, you know, being Paris Travel Lodge. Carey went on to remark about how, well, you know, I don't know what she's famous for. I mean, what about all the important women out there we should be honoring and talking about? People like Rosa Parks. He went on to note one of the unsung heroes of the Civil Rights Movement, the white guy that asked her to get up. He said, you never hear about, you know, the the true father of the Civil Rights Movement on Black History Month. You know, without him, there'd probably be no NBA, no hip-hop, might not even be any jazz. Apparently, after doing this bit for a while, Drew Carey looked up the guy's name. His name was James Blick. And told the story that he alleged that actually 12 years earlier, in 1943, James Blick was driving the same bus, picked up Rosa Parks. They had to basically pay in the front and then enter the back of the bus. She dropped her purse, was picking up the change, and he drove off and left her to walk five miles home in the rain. Which he said it was sure why 12 years later, when he asked her to move to the back of the bus, she said, to hell with you. Don't know if it's true, but that's what Drew Carey had to say, uh, his closing line was, was pretty funny. He said, you know, you ever hear this this statement, you know, that uh, if women ran the world, there'd be no war? Oh, yeah, sure, he said. No one would start a fight for no reason if women ran the world. said he could see England being invaded. Well, wh- why are you invading us? Oh, I think you know the reason. George Carlin talked about uh, about honoring uh, uh, Mort saw how much Mort had helped him. He pointed out that when... Uh, When Jack Parr left The Tonight Show in 1962, there was an interim period before which Johnny Carson became the permanent host. Mort Saul was one of the interim hosts of the program and said this is a time when he put George Carlin on the air, gave him his first national exposure and really helped George Carlin get his career moving. Carlin showed a clip from that era where he was imitating Mort Saul. Uh, I think we mentioned that already. It It was pretty good, but what struck me was he was talking about George Romney, the governor of Michigan, going to Vietnam and Carlin later elaborated how when George Romney said he was brainwashed, which was you know, God's truth by the CIA and the Pentagon over in Vietnam, came back and said, I think I was brainwashed over there. It killed him politically. Which he noted on this program, it, which seems pretty clear to us that his son Mitt is not going to make that same mistake of telling the truth. Norm Crosby had some pretty good lines, noted that in America you cannot vote. If you're mentally deficient, you can, however, get elected. Crosby said he thought, in his experience, this is the first time in a presidential election year that the American public want nobody to win. Jay Leno came out, got political right away. Mentioned how you know, you know, Mel Gibson gets a lot of criticism, but people don't know that he actually had an uncle who who died in a concentration camp. He uh, apparently got drunk and fell out of one of the guard towers. He then talked about the news, topical news, something Mort Saul would do, something we would do. We we we'd like to think. Uh, mentioned how this this new study shows that obesity may be caused by a virus, which, you know, Leno was somewhat skeptical about saying, oh, yeah, yeah. How come nobody in Africa seems to get that virus? I said, well, what if it is a virus? What are you going to do? Call in fat to work? He talked about America's poor eating habits. He mentioned how there's this new double melt pizza over at Domino's. <laughs> so you get people say, think, what would you like on top of that pizza? Oh, just, just put another pizza right on top of it there. Uh, Domino's was now offering a brownie tray. <laughs> He said this ever happened to you? Have a slice of pizza boy, I think I'll just round that off with a tray of brownies. noted how you know Kentucky Fried Chicken they're advertising they're not using trans fats anymore and he said, you know the real problem comes when you're eating food and the portions are in buckets. And as we mentioned uh, Leno closed by by not taking applause from himself by referring to, to Mort Saul as George Bailey as in It's a Wonderful Life, the greatest man on earth. And as the applause swelled, he then made his exit. Bill Mars certainly was full of praise for Mort as well, noted that uh, if it, when when Mort did comedy, if you took all the jokes out of it, you'd still have an interesting speech. But he noted that, of course, Mort did not uh, take the jokes out. He noted that's why he would have to write the jokes on his hand, and he he <laughs> showed his hand, and he did have a bunch of things written in his palm, which was pretty funny. Bill Maher was uh, was uh, got on a tear about the the new iPhone that was released this week, noting how people were lining up for it, said, oh, yeah, yeah. Americans won't get off their butts to go demonstrate against the war, but they'll line up for an iPhone. Pote fun of yuppies going, well, well, I have a decal on my car. What more can one man do? Anyway, that's a smattering of uh, some of the funny stuff. I didn't even begin to do it justice, but uh, I want to close with the fact that there was a guy standing out in front as I was waiting in line to get into the event. Obviously, a comic, a stand-up comic of some sort. Didn't recognize who he was, but he was holding court with a series of pretty funny jokes. And like Bill Maher, I recalled it because I wrote one of them down in my palm to refresh my memory. I think we'll just close with that one. Uh, Two guys are walking around a big event. they got drinks in their hand. They both look kind of lost. They notice each other. First guy says the second one, what are you doing? Guy says, I'm looking for my wife. I can't find her in this event. Just so many people. First guy says, yeah, I know what you mean. I can't find my wife either. So what's your wife look like? Well, she's slender. She's got blonde hair. She's got large breasts and kind of a nice derriere, if I do say so myself. Says the first guy, so what's your wife look like? First guy says, why don't we just concentrate on finding your wife? You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll be back after a break.